Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Pete. If you don't know me, I'm one of the uh, pastors here at CEFC. So glad to be with all of you this morning. As Phil said, we are continuing with a series on friendship, and uh, as I was getting ready for this this weekend, I was uh, reminded of a story of a person by the name uh, that you might know, you probably recognize this name, her name is Taylor Swift. Um, you know, I know that as soon as saying the name Taylor Swift, some of you cringe inside and you think, oh, I don't like Taylor Swift, and some of you inside are like cheering, saying, oh, I love Taylor Swift, and you have all her music on replay, but whether or not you like her or not really isn't the point of the story. Uh, the uh, reality is there's some interesting things that have happened with her. And she is, um, she is really a, a homegrown star from around here. In fact, she was born and raised in Wyo. I know a lot of you guys know that. She went to Wyo Missing School. She went to elementary school and middle school there. Um, her house is still really close by, um, or well, her childhood house, I should say. And also, she performed right over here in Straustown at the Pat Garrett Amphitheater many times. Um, but she's got, like, crazy success that happened in her life. Um, when she was at age 17, she had just moved to Nashville, and she, uh, she published her her first single. A single was called Tim McGraw. Now, I don't know if you've ever had aspirations of like writing a song or um, selling anything, but the the amount that she was able to sell on this very first song that she wrote, or very first song that she published, was crazy. She sold five million copies of this, and the song hit uh, the top ten charts. She was just the instant stardom. You know, by the age that she was 23, she'd already grossed $57 million in earnings. Just to give you some frame of reference uh, for a person of the time, she beat out Bieber and Rihanna and Lady Gaga and all the other famous people of the time. She was uh, exceeding all of them in gross earnings. Crazy. By the time she was 25, uh, she actually, she wrote an album by the name of 1989. And that album actually won the Album of the Year uh, and the Grammy Awards. Um, And this was the second time that that award was won by a female, and she just so happened to be the female that was the second time um, that she had won it, and nobody else has ever done that uh, up until that point in history. Um, She just achieved incredible, incredible success at such a young age, and maybe lived out the American dream more than all of us have tried to live out the American dream before. Just crazy. But what's interesting about all of the success that she achieved, um, she made an interesting comment. I was just recently watching a Netflix uh, Netflix documentary on her, and this is what she said about that moment when she was 25 and just got that Grammy. She said, that was it. My life had never been better. I had won a Grammy uh, for Album of the Year for the second time. And I remember thinking, that was all you wanted. That was all you focused on. And you get to the mountaintop, and you look around thinking, what now? I didn't have a partner I climbed with. I didn't have anyone I could talk to who could relate. I just wondered, shouldn't I have someone I could call right now? I mean, I'm just thinking, like, as I heard her say that, I'm like, she's achieved a mountaintop that many of us would dream to achieve. And at the mountaintop, she looks around and says, but if I don't have anybody to share this with, what's the value of what I just achieved? What's the value of the experience if I don't have anyone to share it with? An interesting question that she is asking. Maybe you guys have felt a version of this of your own, in your own life where you've experienced um, something or accomplished something. Like when you were a kid and you got a whole bunch of good grades and you brought them home to your parents, you just want your parents to go, wow, great job that you did right there. Or, or maybe when you were um, 
you know, out shopping and you got new clothes, when you're buying new clothes, you're thinking about the people that you want to show those clothes off to, or you get a promotion at work and you're thinking about, oh, who am I going to tell when I get home? Who's going to be excited for me about this promotion that I just achieved? I, I know that personally I've experienced this so many times as well. Uh, I know there's been a lot of times when I've thought to myself, you know, what? I'm going to go like on a, a weight loss binge and I'm going to try to lose a bunch of weight. And the whole time I'm trying to lose it, I'm thinking about the people that are going to be impressed with my weight loss or a time that I bought a car in my life, or a time that I fixed up a home. I fixed up like five homes, and every time there's always people in my mind who's going to be impressed with the work that I do. And the reason is, is because people really bring value to our accomplishments and our experiences. And at every mountaintop that we achieve, both experientially or accomplishment-wise, we're always looking around saying, who climbed this mountain with me? Like she asked. Who's there with me that's celebrating with me? Because without the people... Without the people that are there with us, then we are faced with a question that we are always asking ourselves. If no people are with us at that mountaintop and no people are there with us, even at the low valleys in our lives when, we're, when we experience really dips in our lives, if, if no one's there with us, then we're faced with maybe one of the greatest fears that we have that, that none of us want to even mention. In fact, we're afraid to even say this word. It's this word right here, alone. Nobody wants to get to their end, the end of their life alone. Nobody wants to experience life alone. There's so much value that we find in relationships with other people, and this word terrifies us if we're really honest. We're always looking for someone to share our experiences with. And in fact, if I were to like give us a checkbox of the, uh, the, the checks that we really are looking for in friendship, we probably could all come up with a pretty comprehensive list of what we're looking for people to meet our needs in friendship. We all know what we're looking for when it comes to a friend, a really good friend. We want someone that's there for us, you know, when we need them to be there for us, we want them to be there for us. We want someone that celebrates with us. When we accomplish something, we want them to be the one high-fiving us at the top of the mountain. Uh, so we want people celebrating with us about all the great accomplishments and things that we've done. We want people who cry with us. You know, like when you're, you're down really, really low and you feel like maybe you're at a season in your life where you're mourning the loss of someone, you want someone that's there with you, crying with you, a shoulder to cry on. You, you want your friend to be there like that. Uh, we want someone that, you know, when you show up at the restaurant and you forgot your wallet, they're like, dude, I got you. Don't worry, I'll pay for you. You want someone that fights for you. You know, when, when the, the doors are closed and people are saying different things, you want them to be like, no, 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 you don't talk about them that way. You, you want a friend that fights for you when no one else is looking. You want a friend that loves you. A friend that really like considers you as more important than themselves. All of us kind of know what we're looking for when it comes to friendship. And when we think about the who's in our life, like who those people are, we can picture who they are and what we want them to be. Uh, but the question that we're asking this morning is not so much um, that question. It's not a seminar on how to find great friends. The question we want to ask for ourselves this morning is, if the, everyone is looking for a friend like that, what would it take for me to be a friend like that to somebody? What would it take for me to be that kind of friend? Instead of saying, hey, I've got a litany of things I'm looking for, hold on a second. What would it take for me to be what your friends are looking for? To, to check all those boxes and to meet all that criteria, what would it take for me to get there? What kind of sacrifice is involved in me being that kind of friend? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this concept, and we've also been talking about a... Uh, uh, two guys in the Old Testament by the name of David and Jonathan who had a prolific friendship that we look at quite often when you look at the, the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, but 
This is a a crazy story because uh, maybe if you're not familiar with church or you're not familiar with the Bible, then you might not recognize uh, both of the names, but you probably do recognize the name of David. He's a very famous king. Um, But just to give you a little bit of backstory to the story we're about to read, David, um, he was just a shepherd boy at some point in time in his life, but God had called him to be the next king of Israel. And when he called him to be the next king of Israel, the crazy part about that was there was already a king that was king of Israel. His name was Saul. Um, and so as David was being risen up to be the king, you can, see, you can imagine there was obviously some tension that was growing between both Saul and David and, and some rivalry that was happening between the two of them. In fact, David had achieved some incredible success. Uh, he beat a giant by the name of Goliath. He won a lot of battles and he was always like God was paving the way for him to be successful. And all the while the, the rage and the jealousy is growing in the king who's presently in that place. And at this point in time in history where we catch the story up, uh, David had, had run and hid inside a mountain and the reason he was hiding because the message was out there that Saul had had enough of David and he sent fighting men to go kill him. And so David was running for his life. He was hiding. He didn't want anybody to know where he was. And that's where we catch this story up and see what did Jonathan do in the midst of this. And I think there's a lot we can learn from Jonathan's example. It says, David learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and he helped him find strength in God. And in this moment, uh, it says that he was there, uh, that Jonathan showed up in the mountain. You know, while David was out hiding, Jonathan was like, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there with him in the midst of the turmoil that's happening. And when he showed up with him in that moment, it says he gave him strength in God. Now, maybe some of you guys have had someone do that for you in your life, uh, that, uh, you know, you've had a track record of times when you put your faith in God. And you had to have a, you've had to have a friend come along you sometimes and remind you of the times that God has shown up for you in your life. And I really think that that's what Jonathan was doing right here. He's like, listen, remember, you fought that giant and God was there with you. And remember, there was all these different battles that you waged war against and, and God gave you the victory. And God has promised you a future. And listen, let me just remind you who God is and who you are in him. And so he showed up. And he reminded him of those things and he gave him strength in God. And then the second thing he did is this. He said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Um, So the second thing that he did was he encouraged him. When, When he was hiding in this cave, he said, listen, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, he told them about what God was going to do in his life. He's like, God's not, Saul's not going to lay a hand on you and you're going to be king. He encouraged him and said, don't be afraid. You've got this. You can do this. Don't worry. I love that he just showed up and he gave him the words that he needed to hear at this moment. And he did one more thing. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them uh, made a covenant before the Lord. So you see here, he just made a promise to David. He decided that he was going to support him. In the midst of all the, the valleys and peaks that he was about to go through after that, Jonathan's like, I promise I will be with you. And the two of them made a promise to each other to stay by each other's side. They promised not to go away. It was a promise of support that I'm going to walk through this with you no matter what it takes. Um, and he let him know the answer to the question that so many of us ask, which is, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm going to walk through this with you. You know, like, I think so often we struggle, as Caleb just mentioned when he was up here, this concept of focusing on ourself. And so often the American dream, like Taylor Swift was chasing, you know, is all about us. 
And even when we look at relationships, we're often thinking about what I can get out of a relationship. And Jonathan sets a completely different example for us when he shows up and does those three things. But then it's also, Jesus comes along a thousand years later or so, and he kind of flips the whole idea of what the world thinks is important on its head. And he begins to remind us that this world isn't about me and you, and following me isn't about, uh, I'm sorry, it's not about me. Jesus said, following me is not about you. (laughs) We got to live our life with a sacrificial mindset, that we lay down our lives to follow you. And so when Jesus came and brought this principle, it it shook the whole world. And so Jesus, he said this, and I think this is awesome. He called, he, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants, me, uh, to be, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me uh, and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is like, listen, there's all kinds of things that we selfishly chase after, but what good is it if you find all those things and you forfeit your soul? It's like if you actually want to live, you want to find life, life is found in sacrificing your own. Life is found when we lay it down. In fact, we're not even living when we're chasing life for ourselves. The things that we chase after, we think is where life is found. But the reality is, We don't even find life until we're willing to sacrifice that and follow him. And then he takes it just a little bit further when he says this in John. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And I mean, Jesus is taking this to the the sense of a command. Do this. I mean, this is something that we must do as followers of Jesus. Love each other as I have loved you. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you want to know what friendship requires, true friendship, It's that I lay down my life for you. It's not about what I can get from you. It's about what I can give to you. We all know what we're looking for in friends, but what does it take for me to be that kind of friend to somebody? Because that's really the question that we have to ask ourselves. It takes sacrifice. It takes self-denial. It takes saying that you are more important than I am. It says that I lay down my life for you. This is what Jesus requires of me. This is what the gospel requires of me. So we're going to take a uh, page out of Jonathan's playbook and just kind of uh, echo the things that he said to kind of decide what does friendship look like in this scenario. Um, So the first thing that we learned from Jonathan was this, is that if we're going to be that kind of friend, then we need to show up in somebody's life. we got to show up. It's not complicated, but if we want to be that kind of friend that sacrifices, then we need to be there. And when I think about showing up, I think about showing up predictably in someone's life. Now, you need to know that CEFC is working feverishly over the next couple of months to try and uh, develop places where people can join in small groups because we know that attending church in rows, is, uh, it's good, it's great. We learn a lot from the rows that we sit in, but we believe that life change happens in the context of a circle, that when we sit around and we share life with one another and we talk about our experiences, we grow as we develop our relationships that we have. And so I believe we've got to decide, I'm going to sacrifice my time and show up in somebody else's life. And whether or not that's in participation of a small group or if I do that on my own and I connect with someone on a regular basis, I need to show up in someone's life predictably and regularly I need to be there. Because in order to to develop a relationship with someone, we have to put time in. I think about it like this. 
You know, like if you've ever had a, a piggy bank when you're a kid and you're putting like pennies inside the piggy bank, eventually those pennies pile up and you get lots and lots of pennies inside there. And, and basically you're saving it for a time when you break the piggy bank and you spend that money, right? And in the same way in relationships, when we spend time with each other predictably, it's like we're putting relational deposits inside that piggy bank and we're building up the relationship by putting each of those deposits in. Every time I spend time with you, I develop a Big, a bigger, broader relationship, more in-depth, more trust is developed every time I show up. And, and the thing is, I think sometimes when we talk about this concept, we're thinking someday I'm going to break that piggy bank and ask you for a favor. But the reality of this kind of friend is someday I want you to break the piggy bank and ask me for a favor. I want you to know where to go. I'm going to show up in your life so that sometime when you need something, I'm here. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus asked me to, to give. And I think another side of this, this is just another perspective, but um, when I show up, I, not, I need to show up predictably, but I also need to show up mentally. You know, so often, like with all the screens that we have in our life, you go to a restaurant and there's a screen on every wall. It doesn't matter where you sit. You can pay attention to something else besides the person that you're sitting right across from. And I think sometimes we've got to take this thing that is so accessible and we can check out what's happening in the world. And so I might be talking to you, but I'm also checking my texts and the news and the, the scores and everything like that. I've got to take this thing and I've got to put it back in my pocket. I've got to decide that when I show up with you on a regular basis, I'm also going to be there. So that when you're thinking, who am I going to share this with? The answer is me when I'm there with you. Uh, what, how am I going to go through this with someone? It's with me when I pay attention to the words that you're saying. I got to show up predictably and I got to show up mentally. Just a reminder of what Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, than he lays down one's life for one's friends. I mean, this is what friendship looks like. I show up, I sacrifice my time, I give you my attention. Show up, be with you sacrifice for you. The second thing we learned from Jonathan, because Jonathan did this, he showed up when David needed him the most. Second thing is he's uh, encouraged. He encouraged him. You know what? The, th the crazy thing about encouragement um, is just words, right? And we probably like, we've heard the, the concept before, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, that's not real, right? I mean, we know that sticks and stones will break our bones, but we also know that words can hurt. Words can be penetrating to our soul. They can, they can beat us up and down, probably way worse than six can because the reality is they last longer. They, negative things that people say about us, they linger. But the opposite side of that is true as well, that when we give encouraging words, they linger with people too. And I was just uh, talking about this in first service and somebody came up and shared this with me. Um, but I have some notes that I've saved from eighth grade. Um, and I sometimes will refer back to those notes and read them because they were encouraging. They meant a lot to me. And when I was dating my wife um, before we were married, she would write me some encouraging notes, and I know that I've got a bunch of those notes saved. I don't know where they are, and I don't know if they're like stuck together from being so old at this point in time. They're in a drawer somewhere, but I know that I have those notes saved. And in the same way, like when people send me texts that are encouraging texts, I never delete them. When people send me voicemails, I don't, I don't never get rid of them, and I, sometimes I'll go back to them and listen to them again and again and refer to them. So after first service, someone came up to me, and they were telling me about a time when they really needed a letter. They did they didn't know it, but their sister had tucked a letter into their, their, uh, their bag when they were going on a trip, and they found it, and they read it, and they saved that letter from like 20 years ago. I mean, there's just something about encouraging words that matter, and we all have the ability to give them freely, but often we go, ah, do I really need to say this, or is it really even worth my time? The reality is an encouraging word can change someone's life. It can lift someone up. The word itself means to bring courage or to give courage to someone else. We have the ability to give courage. 
to each other. And as a friend, I need to take a humility check and say, I'm not sure if this matters, but I'm going to say it anyway because I love you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to give you the gift of encouragement. Check out this verse in Proverbs. I thought this was pretty astounding. It says this, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Man, they really are healing. So a friend like this, a friend who's going to be sacrificial, they show up, they encourage, and the third thing that they do is support. The third thing, the third thing we learned from Jonathan is that a friend like that supports you in the times when you really, really need it. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of times when we're going to go through disasters in our life. And we know that we need people to walk through us in the midst of those disasters. We know that sometimes there's transition that happens in our life when we're moving from place to place. And who's going to show up but the friends that we've spent time with? Um, You know, there's so many different areas in our life where we really truly need someone to support us when we're low. I was just thinking about a story where um, I had taken a whole bunch of students down to the the beach. We used to do a beach trip here at CEFC. And so I had like 100 students in uh, a bus and on the way home, we were coming back, and it was, it was like 2 a.m. And I remember thinking uh, uh, on the way home, I hope our bus doesn't break down, but honestly, it broke down on the way home. And so we were stuck out in the middle of, the no- in the middle of nowhere. Now, thank goodness cell phones were invented at the time. So I called one person that I knew was going to help me out. This a guy by the name of Andy Merrick. And when I called Andy Merrick, he was there within an hour with a new bus, and we got all those kids home. But, you know, during the midst of disaster and moments when moments like that happen, and we don't know when they're coming, who are we going to call? We want to know that we've got a friend who's going to be there that we can call. Um, who are those people? Because the friend like this says, in those moments, I'm your guy. A friend like this says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you get through this. I know that you have experienced the death of a loved one, or I know you're going through a divorce, or I know whatever it is you're going through right now, I just want you to know, as Jonathan said the example, you're not alone, and I promise to walk through this with you, and you don't have to be afraid because I'm here. You know, there's a, a beautiful story of this in the Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Moses, and Moses had an apprentice by the name of Joshua. Joshua was fighting a battle, and it says literally that when Moses lifted his hands, the, uh, Joshua won the battle. And when Moses' hands went down, Joshua was losing the battle. Um, but some crazy stuff happened in the midst of it. Let me just read you this passage. It says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. You know, Moses, like, he had to lift his hands up for them to win. But as he was getting tired and he couldn't hold them up himself, he had one friend on one side and another friend on the other. And I think this is just a beautiful picture of what we have to do for people sometimes. Sometimes we've got to hold up our friend's arms so they can keep going, so they can make it to tomorrow, whatever tomorrow looks like. And if we're that kind of friend, we show up, we encourage, and we support. And... and You know, we can't be that kind of friend for everyone, but we can be that kind of friend for someone. So the question we want to ask today as we wrap this service up is, who's the someone in your life that needs you to be that kind of friend to them now? Maybe you don't have to look that far. Maybe you just look to the person right next to you and think, you know what, my wife or my husband, they need me to be that kind of friend to them today. I've left this relationship drift. I've been taking taking advantage of them. I've been thinking of them as they help me, not me help them. Maybe today's the day where it's like, you know what, I need to be a friend to the person that's closest to me and redevelop that relationship.
Maybe it's an adult child that, you know, you've become estranged with and you just thought, I don't know how to mend this relationship, but you're like, today you're, you're saying, I need to be that kind of friend to my adult child who needs me to be there for them right now. Or maybe it's a friend that you've had that you've just been taking advantage of. You're like, hey, I just, I'm a taker. I take from you what you'll give me as opposed to saying, I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. But the life that Jesus told us to live is one of sacrifice. And to, to really truly be a real friend, it means I lay down my life for you. Where can you show up today? Where can you encourage? Where can you support? Um, we pray that God points that out to you today. You have a, an example of who that is that God wants you to be a real friend to. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you are with us. Thank you for when it came to the, the decision to, to be a friend to us, you did so much more. Now, you sacrificed everything because of your love for us. And in that example, God, it's crazy because we think that there's so much we can get out of this life. We spend so much time focusing on things that are just gonna vanish. But the value that comes from human relationships, we tend to avoid sometimes because it's complicated. I just pray that you would help us, God. Help us to remember where real value is found. There's so much value found in relationships. And real life is found when I lay mine down and I be that kind of friend to somebody else. Give me the courage today to do that. Give me the energy to do it. And help me not to think that I can find life in doing it my own way. It's your way, God. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.